Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Well, here's something I think you'll find interesting. In a March 5th, 2019 report, a principal director of the CDC stated that healthcare facilities are, and I quote, wondering whether it's worth their trouble to take action in preventing infections from dangerous pathogens such as MRSA. MRSA is a methicillin, which is an antibiotic-resistant staph infection. And no, I'm not making that up. Healthcare facilities are wondering whether it's worth their trouble to take action in preventing infections from dangerous pathogens such as MRSA. All right. Now, that was last year, in 2019. And now, with COVID, the coronavirus, and this mask obsession we're in the midst of, I believe that healthcare-acquired infections, other than the coronavirus, healthcare-acquired infections, infections that you can get while you were in the hospital, infections that you didn't have when you went in, but that found you while you were in the hospital, I believe that these will be on the rise. And there is much information out there that also suggests that COVID-19 may worsen the antibiotic resistance crisis. Now, the COVID-19 disease cannot be treated with antibiotics, but antibiotic use is rising anyway, especially in intensive care units. Growing evidence suggests that as the COVID-19 pandemic moves across the world, it may drag a second slow-motion pandemic behind it. Even though COVID-19 is a virus, okay, only bacterial infections require antibiotics, but even though COVID-19 is a viral illness not affected by antibiotics, early data from hospitals show that very high proportions of patients, more than 90% in some studies, are being treated with antibiotics to cure or protect against secondary infections during respiratory illnesses or hospitalizations. Now, we already know that antibiotic resistance is already a crisis situation. It actually causes an estimated 700,000 deaths around the world each year, almost four times the death toll from the coronavirus so far, if in fact the coronavirus death toll is even remotely accurate, which we've talked about in the past, probably not. Anyway, a further complication. If increases in resistance occurs, there won't be drugs to fix the problem. 
because antibiotic manufacturers have been abandoning the market and some have actually gone bankrupt because resistance causes their products to become less lucrative. So with drug companies pivoting to search for coronavirus treatments, there is a real risk that research into new antibiotics can fall years behind. So what we're hearing is that more and more antibiotics are being used during this pandemic. More worryingly, the papers show that very high proportions of patients hospitalized with what is presumed to be COVID-19 are receiving antibiotics, not to treat diagnosed bacterial infections, but as insurance and protection once they are admitted to intensive care units or are put on ventilators. In that first Chinese uh, study, 95% of the patients received antibiotics. In other papers, the proportions are just as high, with 100% of patients receiving antibiotics, 985 93%, 84%, 64% of patients in various places are receiving antibiotics as part of their COVID-19 care. Now, in normal times, those rates would be unthinkably high. Doctors and hospitals try to stick to a set of practices broadly known as antibiotic stewardship, that is meant to confine antibiotic use to when the drugs are really needed. A key principle of stewardship is to make sure that the infection a patient is experiencing is actually identified and lab confirmed, whether a blood test, urine test, some other test. That way the physicians can fit the choice and the dose of antibiotic to the pathogen infecting a patient and to any resistance that is already present. It is not routine practice to give antibiotics simply because someone has been placed on a ventilator. But more and more physicians are prescribing during the coronavirus just in case. And the reason why I'm talking about this today is summed up in this quote. Here's a quote. It worries me that we could end up with loosening of stewardship practices and a lot of broad spectrum antibiotic use beyond what we usually have says Cornelius J. Clancy, an infectious disease physician who researches antibiotic use patterns. Nevertheless, according to the Food and Drug Administration, there has been such a spike in azithromycin, and that's been touted, the z to use um, for the coronavirus. Nine different manufacturers have reported shortages they cannot resolve for months. Azithromycin, the z isn't the only antibiotic being put to non-standard use for COVID-19. New papers and preprints show that physicians are experimenting with amoxicillin, tetracycline, doxycycline, and tycoplanin, which is a last resort drug used against MRSA to try to prevent coronavirus infections. Now that all adds up to vast amounts of excess use and to enhanced risk of resistance emerging and undermining the powers of those drugs. Now that's a problem because resistance is already a potent problem. In parts of the United States, the major bacterial cause of pneumonia defeats the first choice antibiotic used for it more than half the time. That's scary that if you have pneumonia and you take an antibiotic, it's not going to work because it's resistant to it because of our overuse of antibiotics. Now, you couple all of this with patients either in nursing homes or hospitals or rehab facilities 
who are no longer allowed to have a family member or a patient advocate with them. You cannot tell me that less independent oversight is not going to create a spike in hospital-acquired infections. Logic, simple everyday logic, dictates healthcare workers have been laid off, there are less of them, and no family members to act as eyes, ears, and a mouth to speak up. More stress, more fear, more fiddling and fussing with masks leads to less concern for basic infection prevention hygiene, which then leads to more secondary infections like MRSA, which then leads to more antibiotic use. Now, I also want to make another observation about healthcare-acquired infections and the use of masks. With all of the fixation on wearing a mask, even though I meticulously debunked all of the fake news about masks these past few weeks, it still is this weird obsession, like wearing a mask is the savior of all infections. The best is the stupidity of watching these evil looters destroying other people's property and businesses in the name of protest, burning buildings, tearing down national monuments, spray painting history while wearing a mask. As if their acts aren't visibly ignorant enough by doing all of that, they double down on their ignorance by wearing a mask. And here's how embarrassing it all is. They are not smart enough to know that wearing a mask does little, if absolutely nothing, to protect themselves. That the whole point of wearing a mask is to potentially protect others, should you be infected and cough and sneeze all over the place. The virus is not airborne. It is aerosolized, meaning someone would literally have to sneeze or cough droplets on your face or sneeze or cough on a surface that you then touch and then put your fingers up your nose or into your mouth. So these fools are wearing masks, surely thinking they are protecting themselves. I can assure you that anyone who would destroy and steal running out of stores with bags of merchandise are not wearing masks to protect their fellow looters. There is no concern for their fellow man or woman they are simply stupid, non-informed lowlifes. And their mask wearing is just another visible sign of their ignorance. I'm sorry, I digressed. My point was to share with you a recent doctor's appointment I had that showed me how the use of masks is actually masking the problem of poor infection control. I have had eye floaters for the past few years. You know, the random black spots that cross your field of vision. I guess it comes with age. Yay. But a few weeks ago, it got worse in one eye. It's like someone took some Oreo cookies, crushed them all up, and mixed them with hand sanitizer gel and rubbed it in my eye. What I can actually see is a gel-like substance that moves all around, and it's filled in with black spots that look like Oreo crumbs. So I went to the eye doctor for an exam. Ultimately, all was good except for those floaters. Now, floaters occur when the vitreous, a gel-like substance that fills about 80% of the eye and helps it maintain a round shape when that slowly shrinks. 
as the vitreous is that gel shrinks, it becomes somewhat stringy, and the strands can cast tiny shadows on the retina. Those are floaters. That's the doctor's explanation, but I like my visual, Oreos, and hand sanitizer gel. Anyway, I went for the exam and was told to wear a mask. Upon entering the medical building, they took my temperature and off I went to the elevator. And there began my journey of lapses and disregard for basic infection control or awareness. Let's begin with the elevator button. How many people with unwashed hands have touched that button? But no worries, we're all wearing a mask. Three people in the elevator, two of them touched the first and second floor button. Were their hands all clean and shiny? No worries, we're all wearing a mask. Now, to get into the doctor's office was the ever scary and looming doorknob. The song that plays in my head when I have to negotiate a public doorknob, especially in a healthcare setting with sick people, is this. Ah, who cares about wrapping my clean hand around that nasty doorknob? After all, I'm wearing a mask. I entered the room, and half of the fabric-covered chairs were turned around backwards with a piece of paper on the seat with a big X on them. Can't sit here. Social distancing. I say, who cares? I rather like social distancing. I've never been a fan of personal space invasion. So, as far as I'm concerned, we can social distance forever. I don't need someone's radiating cell phone blasting all over me. Anyway, I went to the reception window, and the gal behind the desk immediately pulled her mask onto her face and asked for my insurance cards. I handed them to her. She made copies and handed them back to me. She asked me to take a seat, and with her contaminated hands that just touched my contaminated insurance cards, she removed her her mask down to her chin. The next patient arrived and the same thing happened. The gal behind the desk put her mask back up on her nose and her mouth. Only this patient put her contaminated purse on the contaminated counter while fumbling for her contaminated insurance cards. The receptionist handled the cards, asked the gal to sit down, and proceeded to remove her mask again. And I ask, what is the point of wearing a mask if all of this contamination is going on? And it continued. The receptionist called me back from my contaminated fabric seat and handed me a contaminated clipboard and a contaminated pen and asked me to answer some COVID-19 questions. So here I am answering questions. Are you sick? Is anyone in your family sick? Have you traveled out of town in the past 14 days? answering virus-related questions on a multi-use clipboard and pen that who knows who has touched. Well, I anticipated this, so I did not touch the clipboard, pulled a pen from my purse, and simply stood there and answered the silly questions. Back to my contaminated fabric seat. And while I'm talking about it, I really wish waiting rooms would use fake leather or metal or plastic or something other than fabric. It gets so nasty from the backsides of hundreds of people's pants. 
Is it a vector for infections? Well, you know me, I deal in facts, and here's one of many, so I am not making this up. This is from Kelly Reynolds, PhD and associate professor at the University of Arizona's Zuckerman College of Public Health and co-director of the Environment Exposure Science and Risk Assessment Center. She is investigating how soft surfaces contribute to pathogen transmission. And she says, many types of harmful bacteria can survive on soft surfaces, including MRSA, VRE, which is vancomycin, an, an antibiotic resistant bug, and influenza. Scientific research has shown not only the presence of pathogens on soft surfaces, but also that organisms can persist on soft surfaces for several hours, like the influenza virus, to as long as three months for MRSA and VRE on fabrics like polyester. She says, since pathogens can survive for days and months on soft surfaces, it is likely that the surface will be touched while the pathogen is still alive. And therefore, it is assumed that soft surfaces can and do play a role in the spread of infection in facilities. She continues, studies have shown that bacteria can be transferred to upholstery and fabric cushions and then back to people. And although soft surfaces in healthcare settings are more frequently studied, soft surfaces in other settings should not be ignored, like the Department of Motor Vehicles. Oh yeah, there's a good place to sit on a fabric seat. People don't always think about sanitizing all soft surfaces like upholstery, which cannot be laundered, but these surfaces can still contribute to the spread of infection. And finally, she says, my research has shown that bacterial concentration is particularly high on waiting room chairs, patient chairs, and privacy curtains in long-term care and healthcare facilities. These surfaces can contribute to cross-contamination and can spread infection from person to person. And I say, but no worries, we're all wearing masks. Next, I was called into the exam room where a brand new student in a mask who is in college studying to become a neurosurgeon attempted to do the initial eye exam. How do I know this? He was so nervous and couldn't answer my questions that I asked him, how long have you worked here? It's my third week, he said. I'm studying neurosurgery during the school year. And I said, and what? Moonlighting as an eye doctor in the summer? Anyway, he was wearing gloves when I entered the room and proceeded to ask me questions while typing my answers into the computer. Next, he attempted to negotiate the tonometry machine, which is the test to measure the pressure inside the eye. Well, he couldn't do it, and he asked if he could try while holding my eyelid up. I said, okay, but not with those contaminated gloves. So he changed his gloves, still couldn't manage, and left the room, opening the door with his gloved hand to find someone else. In enters another guy, wearing gloves and a mask, who also tries to figure out how to do it, to no avail. So out he goes, after touching the doorknob to get in, the machine handles, and the doorknob to get out. I wonder what else he's touching, or who else he's touching, but no worries. 
we're all wearing masks. So you get the idea. Cross-contamination going around and around, no hand-washing, touching and removing of masks, it's all happening right in front of our eyes. And all we are concerned about is the false security of wearing a mask. So when I say that the wearing of masks is masking the problem of healthcare-acquired infections, my tiny experience gives you a peek into what I am sure are major transgressions taking place in nursing homes, rehabs, and hospitals. No one is talking about it because it isn't exciting. It's not sexy. It's old news that was a problem prior to the coronavirus and will continue, even worsening. At any one time in the United States, one out of every 25 hospitalized patients are affected by a hospital-acquired infection. There's many studies out there. I didn't just make that number up. The U.S. Center for Disease Control and Prevention identifies that nearly 1.7 million hospitalized patients annually acquire healthcare-acquired infections while being treated for other health issues, and that more than 98,000 patients, 1 in 17, die due to these. And again, I'm sure those numbers are low, but nobody's talking about that. No one protests this, do they? Why don't we shut down hospitals? We shut down the country for a whole lot less. But no, we just have meetings and symposiums, conferences, patient safety committees, summits, advisory boards, and it continues to happen. So that's my post-COVID prediction. More healthcare-acquired infections that fly under the radar while we are all running around pretending to mitigate a virus that kills less people than faulty infection control. So please keep this in mind as you travel through any healthcare encounter. You don't want to be the recipient of an infection such as MRSA or C. diff or any hospital-acquired infection such as central line infections, urinary tract infections, Klebsiella pneumonia, because these will necessitate the use of antibiotics. From the Greek words anti, which means against, and bios, which means life, Antibiotics are against life, and they are not safe to take lightly. They are not meant to be taken without a confirmed laboratory diagnosis. They are not to be taken just in case. And if you agree with me that this coming disregard for proper infection control is being masked by masks, then I hope you can get a copy of my recent book that highlights the exact infections that are out there. The book is called Healthcare Acquired Infections, The Troublemakers and How to Avoid Them. It's only $10, just $10 available at the website speakupandstayalive.com, speakupandstayalive.com. Or you can call me to order 440-725-5462, 440-725-5462, or email me at pat at speakupandstayalive.com. Once you know who the troublemakers are, how they arrive, what they look and feel like, and what questions to ask your doctor, all by the way covered in the book, then you can at least stay safe from those. And that is all I want for you 
to stay safe, stay sane, and pay attention to infection prevention. It has nothing to do with masked people and everything to do with your being your own best advocate. I may have floaters in my eye, but I can still see what's on the horizon beyond my Oreo dust and hand sanitizer gel. Less family or patient advocate oversight, provider stress and fear and mask manipulation is a surefire recipe for an increase in healthcare acquired infections. So please become informed and feel free to take off your mask and speak up. We need more common sense out there and I am counting on you to help. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. Well, that's it for today. I encourage you to understand the hidden risks out there and become familiar with the many healthcare and hospital infections that are still happening and are bound to become more prevalent as everyone erroneously believes that masks are the answer. My book, Healthcare Acquired Infections, The Troublemakers and How to Avoid Them, unmasks the problems that no one speaks about. And as a reminder, you can hear the show every Saturday, this show every Saturday morning at 8.30 on WHKW AM 1220, The Word, and again on Sunday afternoon, the same show, 2.30 in the afternoon on WHK AM 1420, The Answer. And always, the archived shows are at the website speakupandstayalive.com. Share it with others. During these times, more people need to hear real information, unfiltered and unmasked. I will see you next week. Same time, same place, but never the same information. Until then, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week, free from masquerade. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for informed choice and patient safety. The information provided in today's broadcast is for informational purposes only and was not intended for use as diagnosis or treatment of a health problem and should not be considered as medical advice. If you've missed part of today's show or just want to share the information with friends, you can listen to all of Pat's previous shows at speakupandstayalive.com. Want even more information? Purchase a copy of Pat's book at speakupandstayalive.com. Once again, it's speakupandstayalive.com. Or you can call Pat at... 440-725-5462. Until next week, remember, it's okay to ask others to wash their hands. You have to speak up and stay alive. Hi there, my name is Gina, and I'm part of a global movement of people who are taking action to protect and preserve this great planet of ours. I would love for you to join us. Meet me at mrsgreensworld.com and engage with us by listening to our dynamic podcasts, reading our blogs, watching our videos, and connecting with us on social media. We are showing up every day as disruptors for good, being the change we wish to see in the world. Take action today and join us.
I recently narrated and produced an audiobook for author Joni Dark Shepherd. The book is titled Rio, a love story, how my dog saved my life. Most of you know that I was a caretaker for my mom for nearly a decade and also have been rescued by 13 cats, so Joni's book resonated. Her boundless love and commitment to both her mother and sister as they battled cancer was raw, real, and revealing. As the darkness of these times descended upon her, she discovered and allowed the love of her dogs, especially Rio, to light up her life. Joni Dark Shepherd and the honest portrayal of her journey left me crying, smiling, and feeling happy. And isn't that what a good book is supposed to do? A compassionate and passionate read. Get yourself a copy today. Visit Amazon.com or the website JoanAndRio.com. I guarantee it, you'll love the book, Rio, A Love Story, How My Dog Saved My Life. Visit JoanAndRio.com. Yeah.